Everyone in Britain gets one soon after they enter the world. An important document, a personal record, a birth certificate. Here's what mine looks like. And for the optically challenged, in three weeks on the 1st of January, it's my birthday, didn't know that, and I also collect my free bus pass. Every time I say this to people, no one says, gosh, I would never have guessed. (laughs) So you've all missed a chance again. When Jesus was born, they didn't have birth certificates. If they had, we can only speculate on some of the details. His name, of course, is clear. Jesus, in Greek, Jesus. Hebrew, Yeshua, means Saviour, a name given to him before he was born by an angel. His father's name may have been entered as Joseph. Though in fact he wasn't the real father of the child, and it's doubtful if any registrar would have accepted his mother's explanation. At least Joseph's occupation was clear. Carpenter. And his mother's name also is clear. Mary. But the exact date of his birth isn't clear at all. Maybe you think it should be the 25th of December, not AD. But it's not until 200 years later that December the 25th was selected as the date to celebrate the birthday of Jesus as a counter-attraction to other pagan festivals celebrated on December the 25th. And it's over 600 years later that it was proposed to mark our calendars by the birth of Jesus, either B.C., before Christ, or A.D., and I'll domini, the year of our Lord. But this calendar, in fact, was inaccurate. And most people think Jesus was born around 4 or even 6 B.C., which is rather confusing. However, one other fact that we can be sure about and enter with confidence on any birth certificate of Jesus, is the place of his birth. Bethlehem. Everyone who knows the Christmas carols knows the place where Jesus was born. O little town of Bethlehem. But at the time, town would have been rather an exaggeration. For Bethlehem was more like a large village. Its only claim to fame was that it was the birthplace of Israel's greatest king, David, as another famous carol informs us, once in royal David's city stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Today, sadly, in the troubled town of Bethlehem, churches and other monuments do mark the supposed spot where the events of the birth of Jesus occurred. They even include, if you've ever been there, competing denominational fields where the shepherds had their experience and watched their flocks at night. But back then, Bethlehem was a pretty nondescript place. Yet, nonetheless, it was the place, in fact, the only place where Jesus had to be born if he really was the promised Messiah or Christ. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God spoke about this through a Hebrew prophet called Micah. And he gave the exact location. 
But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Notice, will you, the specific details. Bethlehem, Ephrathah, in the tribe of Judah. Not Bethlehem in the far north of Israel, in Naphtali, another tribe, but Bethlehem down in the south. So, if Jesus was to be the long-awaited Messiah, he would have to be born in Bethlehem in the tribe of Judah. However, there was not much that he, or for that matter any of us, can do to ensure the exact place where we will be born. The details of our birth are one of the few things that are totally out of our control. And it didn't seem, as you read the story, that Mary and Joseph had much to do with the place where Jesus was born either. Not like some Scots who make absolutely sure that when their new baby is born, they move back from England up into Scotland. Which, who knows, may be even more important than the days that I had. No, Mary and Joseph were actually residents in another town or village in Israel called Nazareth. And it seemed likely then that Nazareth would be the place where Jesus was born. Yet it had to be Bethlehem in Judah. But how to arrange this when the unborn child was powerless and his parents, Mary and Joseph, were unaware of the problem? Well, if this child really were God's son, then such arrangements were no problem at all to the one who hung the stars in space. All that was needed was to put a proposal into the ear of the most powerful man on earth in order to carry out the divine arrangements. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world and everyone went to his own hometown to register. Imagine in those days, Getting an offer like that dropped through your letterbox when your wife is almost nine months pregnant. But you didn't question an order delivered by Roman soldiers. So Mary and Joseph set off to the birthplace of Joseph, the male heir. Guess where? So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem the town of David because he belonged to the house and the line of David he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child Bethlehem in Judea but maybe they could have scooted down done the registration and got back in time for the birth of the baby in comfort in their own hometown in Nazareth no that was not the plan God's plan was for the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, a son. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Meanwhile, way back east, some astrologers were scanning the night skies, and they spotted the appearance of a new and bright star which they interpreted, rightly, but we don't know how, as indicating the birth of a new king of the Jews. And so laden with gifts, they set out to find the child, following the star. And on arriving in Israel, they went to the obvious place for the birth of a new king of the Jews, to the royal palace. 
in the capital city of Jerusalem. Knocking at the palace door, they asked a question. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, we've come to worship him. Herod, the present king, was none too impressed. In fact, if we read in Matthew's account of the story, he was disturbed. He knew of no such birth in his family. And so what did he do? Well, he called in the Jewish religious experts to ask them the question he couldn't answer. Where would the Christ, the Messiah, be born? It wasn't a hard question for anyone familiar with the Hebrew scrolls. The answer came back straight away. Of course, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. But this is what the prophet has written. But you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Just what Micah foretold 700 years before. And so on with this information, the astrologers set out on the last leg of their remarkable journey, just a few more miles south from Jerusalem. And the star now reappeared and guided them to the exact location in Bethlehem, to the house where Jesus, by now a toddler, was resident with his mother Mary and Joseph, finding the king just as predicted. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh. Guided by star and scripture, they worshipped the one who was the end of all their searching. And Joseph, being warned by an angel of Herod's murderous intentions, escaped south over the border into Egypt with Mary and Jesus. So he got up, took the child and his mother, during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. Just as predicted, this time another prophet. 750 years before, a man named Hosea said, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I call my son. A few years later, after the death of Herod, Joseph was informed by an angel that it was safe to return back home to Israel. And so the family returned home. Where do you think they went? Not to Bethlehem. To Nazareth. Having been warned in a dream, Joseph withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets. He will be called a Nazarene, just as predicted. Thirty years later, the man Jesus began his public ministry, preaching the good news in his home province of Galilee, just as predicted by another prophet, a contemporary of Micah, whom we've already met this evening, called Isaiah. Good news for Galilee, just as predicted. Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor where? Galilee of the Gentiles. By the way of the sea along the Jordan, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The prophecies concerning the birth of Jesus, which were fulfilled in every detail, are many. But those relating to the final three years of his life, his death and resurrection, are even more numerous and remarkable, not least by the same prophet Isaiah and in the Hebrew hymn book, the Psalms. 
which foretell in graphic detail how he would be executed by crucifixion. And all this points to one thing that we've been focusing on this evening as we look at history, that the coming of Jesus was no ordinary event, but God's plan of salvation in history. In one of his letters in the New Testament, Paul, the messenger of the good news about Jesus, writes, But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, so that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because God, you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. You see, the Christmas story is not just about statistics and fulfilling prophecies, wonderful though that is. It's about relationships. How we can be restored to a relationship with God through God taking the initiative, sending his son to be born as one of us to experience all that we experience, to face temptation and never resist, never succumb, always to resist, and finally to die in our place, all predicted, and to be raised to life, again predicted. As the carol says of Jesus, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth, hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. The question is this evening is, have you recognized that? Have you come like the wise men, like the shepherds, and worshipped at his feet? Not just the newborn king, but the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Back in the 1960s, Peter Stoner, the professor emeritus of science at Westmont College in the United States, undertook a scientific experiment he looked at the probability of the prophecies concerning Jesus being fulfilled in just one man. And he took eight of the prophecies and examined them in detail. He took the example of the birth of Jesus. His students did a calculation. They worked out the approximate population of Bethlehem, the population of the world and Israel, and worked out statistically what the chance of this one man being born in this one place at this one time. And they backed it off and made it more conservative. They tested it out with eight prophecies. And with just eight prophecies, the conclusion was, the chances of one man fulfilling all eight prophecies is one in ten to the power of seventeen. For the mathematically challenged, that's one in whatever that looks like. <laughs> and in order to comprehend this, this is what he writes. This is an American context. He says, if you take 10 to the power of 17 silver dollars and lay them on the face of Texas, they will cover all the state two feet deep. Now mark one of these silver dollars, stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man, tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say, this is the one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in one man from their day to the present time, providing they wrote in their own wisdom. He then was on to calculate 48 prophecies. Some people believe there are 400 prophecies fulfilled 
concerning the life of Jesus. And his conclusion is this. Any man who rejects Christ as the Son of God is rejecting a fact proved perhaps more absolutely than any other fact in the world. And I simply invite you to look at the evidence, the remarkable evidence. Hope you'll join us for coffee and mince pies afterwards. You'll see there's a bookstore there with a book called The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. And do take a couple. Well, you have to pay for it, but it's reduced to, down to only three pounds. It's well worth a buy. Buy it for a friend and read it yourself. We run a course in this church called Christianity Explored, which helps you without any kind of pressure to explore the facts about the Christian faith. Many people have come to faith through this course. A new course starts in January. There'll be people available in the lounge to talk to you about this particular course. We invite you to come and join us on it. runs for about ten weeks in Charlotte Chapel, beginning, I think it's the end of January. Just one final thought, almost finished. There are many prophecies concerning the coming of Jesus. They've all been fulfilled. The only ones remaining now concern the predicted second coming of Jesus. Many people missed his first coming. Make sure that you're ready for his second coming. For it will happen as surely as did his first. Let's just pray together.